Good morning, First Baptist. My name is Madeline Arm. And my name is Sam, and we are super glad you are here to worship with us. If you are new here, please grab a blue card and fill out some basic information so we can get to know you better. And our first announcement for you today is that if you're interested in singing in choir, you should join our Sunday choir group. You can contact Greg Huff, and he will fill you in on how you can get involved. All right, church, our second announcement is about the Bible survey. We are having a church-wide Bible reading plan, and we have a survey on the church website. If you could go on to the church website to fill that out, you can just give us some basic information about what you think about it. And it's uh, fbccofield.org slash survey. So go, go fill that out and give us your input. And our third announcement for you guys is that we have our Pray, Give, Go emphasis of the month, which is South Asia. So we're partnering with them to work on pastor schools, church planting, and also an orphanage. And the gift portion of this emphasis is Bibles. We are trying to raise Bibles, uh, raise money for Bibles. Uh, we're trying to get a thousand Bibles. Each Bible is three dollars a piece. So you can give money through the church office or on the uh, FBC Cookville website. Thank you guys so much for coming. We are so excited to get to worship with you. Please check our chronicles for any announcements we did not cover. Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? My name is Alex Fisher. I'm the interim pastor of Youth and College here at First Baptist. If this is your first time here, there should be one of these little blue cards. Does everybody see it right in front of you? If this is your first time, just fill it out with some basic information so we can get to know you and thank you for coming. And then on the back of that card, there's a spot to put prayer requests. So anyone can write a request down and then tomorrow morning we as a staff are going to get together and pray over each one of those. So we're super excited to worship with you today. Why don't we stand up and greet those that are around us?
everybody doing well this morning? This morning at 6 o'clock, it was cold when I left the house, and it felt so good to come in here at 8 o'clock and to sing this song. It's just something about praising the Lord that kind of warms your heart, brings you joy, and that type of thing. You know, the thing I look forward to, though, is that we get an early spring this year, right? Because Punxsutawney Fields did not see his shadow, correct? All right. I'm glad everybody knows that. All right. But we don't worship a groundhog, all right? So we don't have our predictions told by a groundhog. We look at the Bible and we worship a God that can be worshipped by all of creation. He's a God that shows mercy. So let's sing this next song called His Mercy is More. for your mercy. Because, Lord, as that song says, our sins are many. Lord, it's it's not one sin, it's plural. Uh, and, God, we come to you asking for mercy. Lord, even this morning as we've walked in, uh, Lord, I know that some have walked in just, uh, just a normal part of the week and hadn't even thought about, God, what did I do that offended you this week? And, God, I pray now that your mercy would just shower down on those of us who have who have committed sins this week, Lord, who, who need to stand before you holy, pure, and clean. And that can only happen by your blood. Because, uh, God, you are faithful, Lord Jesus, to give us that, that forgiveness. Uh, even when we stray away, when we commit a sin, Lord, your mercy is there for us to, to claim it back. Uh, but, God, it's because of your faithfulness uh, to us 
and to your to your promise. So, Lord, this morning as we continue on, as we talk about your great faithfulness, as we sing of your great faithfulness, Lord, may we be reminded of who you are and how great you are. In Jesus' name, amen.
Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for that faithfulness. Lord, the faithfulness that uh, that stands by us no matter what we go through, Lord. The, the bad decisions we make, the good decisions we make, Lord, you are faithful. And we thank you for that, Lord, no matter what the season is in our life, uh, the season of the earth. God, you're always there, uh, and you're always walking beside us. We thank you for that. Uh, and Lord, as we continue on with the choir singing this morning, Lord, as we've seen your faithfulness, we've seen your mercy, Lord, let us see your worth. Father, the fact that you are worthy. Uh, so Lord, speak to us through this song and through the message to come, through the preaching to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? Does our God intend to dwell? 
Good morning, church. Join me in your Bibles by turning to the book of Job. Job chapter 1 will be our text today. I hope you're taking the opportunity to read through God's Word with us this, uh, this year. And uh, as we read through God's Word and read it chronologically together, it's just, it comes alive. We're a lot of small groups really interacting in a great way around God's Word. And come to times like this, we, we've been there this week. We've been reading the book of Job. And the best my memory serves me, we've covered about 23 chapters of Job. And I just enjoy walking through the book of Job. And I want to bring out some principles this morning that we learn about Job. And, and, and not really so much about Job, but about God. We learn so much about God in this book. And, and that's what the whole of Scripture is about, us understanding more about God. From, from creation to recreation, how God moves in our lives. So if you've turned to Job chapter 1, I want to talk this morning about a clash of character. And we're going to see three, character, uh, re- three characters revealed to us this morning. The character of God, the character of Job, and the character of Satan. And I want us to look at the clash of those characters this morning. So if you have turned to Job chapter 1, please stand with me and let's read God's Word together. Job chapter 1, verse 1 through 12 is where we'll, where we'll focus our time. Job 1.1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on all on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Father God, we thank you so much for this day, for the the privilege that it is to come and worship. 
God, I pray that as we dive into the book of Job this morning, that we would know more about you when we, when we end our time together. God, that searching through your text would reveal your character to us. God, that we would have conviction upon our hearts where we need conviction. Uh, Lord, that we would confess where we need to confess. God, that you would just move in our midst this morning. You have your will and your way in our life. Lord, I'm really grateful for the appointed time that we gather this morning. What a privilege it is to worship you. But God, I also ask that in this appointed time, God, you would anoint me with the truth of your word to speak into the hearts of your people. God, that you would touch lives as only you can. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So I want to look at first the, the character of Job. We, we see that uh, there's this man in the land of us. His name was Job. And, and Job, it says very clearly in this text, four things about Job. And, and any of us would love to have these four things said of us. I, I hope you would. I, I hope that it would be your desire, my desire, to be, be uh, understood in this way. Job is understood to be a man who is blameless upright, fearing God, and turning from evil. That's, that's four amazing qualities about anybody, but we see those about Job and we think, okay, he was blameless. That, that doesn't mean that Job was sinless. Job lived in a world that, where there was plenty of opportunity to sin. Job was a, a man, and, and there's only one man that ever walked on the face of this earth that did not sin, and that was Jesus Christ. Other than that, everybody else has ever entered this, this realm of humanity has sinned. So we know that Job was not a sinless man, but he was a blameless man. He, he was a man who was, who, a man of integrity, a man who had laid his life before God, a man who came under the authority of God, desired God to be the Lord of his life. So he, he, he positioned himself positionally under the Lordship of God. So, so we see that in his life. Not only was he blameless, says he was upright. He was righteous in the things he did. It, it was righteous of him to decide to to follow the Lord and put the Lord in the right place. He was he was fearful of God, and not in a way that would be a, a trembling fear. And, a, and and if he got into the presence of God, he he just he fell to pieces. Not that kind of fear, but a fear that respected God, a fear that reverence God that said, you know, I am not Lord, He is, and I submit to His authority in my life. So we see that about Job. And not only that, he was a man that turned from evil. Everybody's got an opportunity for evil. Job had that. I told you that. He wasn't a sinless man, but he turned. When, when the opportunity for evil came into Job's life, Job turned the other way. Job turned away from evil and turned to God. And he desired to live in the presence of God and under the direction of God. You know, we, we look at our lives, and I hope that's what we'd want every single one of us. I, I hope that's what you would want for your life, to be a man or be a woman who is blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. That's what I want. That's what I want in my life. That's what I want for you as a pastor. I, I, I want to know that the people that I'm walking with and journeying through this life, leading you in your spiritual development, that that's what you're seeking. You're, you're longing for that. And, and so we see the character of Job come out. And it's not just that 
the, the writer of Job says that about him. We, we read on down, and, and when God is conversing with Satan, he calls out the same four qualities and characteristics of Job. He says, my, my servant Job, he's, he's blameless, he's, he's upright, he's, he's fearing me, and, and he's turning from evil. Have you considered him? So we, we see that the character of Job comes to light. We also know that Job was a, a man who loved his family. He, he was a family man. He was a man with ten children. So he was a blessed man. Scripture tells us in Psalm chapter 127, verse 3, says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They're not ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So Job would have been a man who was a very happy man. He had a, had a family. He's, his quiver was full. He had ten children, seven boys, and he had three girls. And we see that Job loved his family in that they, they had parties, and, and they would circulate from house to house, seven days, seven sons. They would go around and have parties. They'd invite their sisters to come party with them. And uh, at the end of that cycle, at the end of a cycle of, of partying, what Job would do is Job would take on the role of a priest for his family. And he would go before the Lord and he would offer ten offerings, ten children, ten offerings, just in case in the process of their time that they were partying, that they had sinned against God, Job went and he laid an offering before the Lord. What? The man loved his family. A, a man doesn't love his family, would not be concerned about them. But Job took the role of a, a father who loved his family. And let me just say something. Every father ought to love their children enough to one pray, pray for them and, and lead them and, and, and be, stand before the Lord with them, encourage them. So here we see that Job lovingly went before the Lord and he, he raised up his family before the Lord. I've got to, I just, I just want to bring this out. This is, this was kind of interesting to me as I walked into Job reading through the scriptures with you this, this uh, month. We've, we've seen three encounters where people drank alcohol. They drank intoxicating beverage. We've seen Noah. We've seen Lot. And now we've seen Job. Can I just make a, a point here as your pastor? None of the three worked out really well. Do y'all see what I'm saying here? Uh, anybody who's ever been in the bondage of alcohol will tell you it doesn't work out well. But for some of you who may one day think you want to flirt with it a little bit, just read about Noah's life after the flood when he got drunk. Just read about Lot's life when, when he had gone out of Sodom and Gomorrah, was up in the mountains, and, and he got intoxicated. Just, just read about what happens to these kids. I mean, this daddy's worried about his kids out there partying, that they might have cursed God in their heart. And no, no man can know the heart of another person, but God knows the heart. God knows every single thing about you. He knows every thought, every intention of our life. He knows us. And He loves us. And we see that Job loved his family. He laid his family before the Lord. He also was a man of great wealth. It lists here some of his animals. Now, I don't believe this was a complete data sheet of Job's wealth and everything he had but but it is a rundown 
of a bunch of animals. I mean, over almost 11,000, 12,000 animals he's got there that, he, that are listed. And I just thought about that. I said, you know, I wonder how much that's worth. And, and I've got to tell you, I, I just did a little Google search. You know, I'm not sure how much a camel is worth. <laughs> I've never sold one, don't have one. But I wanted to know how much a camel's worth. So I Googled it up, and I found out camels can be up to $42,000 a piece. I was like, wow, must be an expensive camel. Run well and drink a lot of water. But anyhow, I looked at all these other animals that I could get a value of, and I took the lowest value that was listed for every animal on average. And they had ranges, highs and lows. But I took the lows, and I'll be honest with you, I just don't believe that Job had the lowest of the animals. He, he was the most blessed man in the region. I believe he had the best of the animals. But if we went on the low of the animals, would you realize with me this morning that Job had in today's economy $5.8 million worth of beast? That's a lot, isn't it? He had some livestock. $5.8 million worth of animals are, are listed out there. So that kind of puts in perspective for me that Job was a pretty wealthy dude, okay? And, and he was richer than anybody else in the area. There's probably some gold and silver and iron and all that kind of stuff to go with it. But he had a lot to his credit. But let me tell you, the greatest thing he had to his credit was that that money was not the God of him. Job's God was the God of creation. Job wasn't captivated. He wasn't confiscated by his stuff. You know, God doesn't have a problem with us possessing possessions. But God does have a problem with your possessions possessing you. Y'all all right? I need to say that again. God wasn't calling Job out because he possessed a whole lot of stuff. God was blessing Job. Everything Job did was a blessing. He was living for God. God was blessing him. But Job's possessions did not possess him. And we see that. It's very clear. When he lost everything, he wasn't, oh, woe is me, and falling to pieces because he lost his camels. He, he, he was focused on God. So we see the character of we see the quality of, of Job and, and, and how he lived his life is it, revealed for us in those things. Job also was a great worshiper. So not only was he a great man with great integrity, a great father, and a great possessor of a whole lot of things, he was a great worshiper. Job loved the Lord, he worshiped the Lord, and and it didn't matter whether it was a good time or whether it was a tough time. We see through the times of life that we're, that's revealed to us that Job was a man who loved the Lord and worshipped the Lord. We, if you will, just read over with me in chapter 1, verse 20. Here we see right after everything's fallen apart in Job's life, he's had the worst day of his entire life. Job says this, Then Job rose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Get this, folks. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Job's a pretty special dude. I don't know where you would be if you'd lost everything Job lost. If you'd have experienced everything Job experienced. I've never experienced anything like it. But here's Job. Man, he recognized the value of a relationship with God. 
And he was a worshiper of God, so he, he fell down before God. We, we see in the Bible, we see so many people worshiping God. We see the right attitude is an attitude of worship. And we just sang about it. I love the text, uh, the scripture that builds the support and the foundation behind the song that the choir just sang. I mean, if you just turn to Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, you'll see the arena of heaven and what was going on. Chapter 5, they were trying to figure out who could open the scrolls of the book. And Jesus was the only one. And they said, He is worthy. And they worshipped Him. Revelation 7, 9 says that there were people, there are myriads of people from every people group, every language, every tongue had gathered around and they were in worship of God. Worship's the right attitude to have towards God. And Job has that kind of attitude. He's got an attitude of worship, an attitude of gratitude. Even in the worst of his day, strip everything from him and he's a worshiper of God. What a character. What a character that should be in my life and be in your life. I've got a ways to go. I, I'm, I'm growing, and I hope you are too. But what a character that is for a man that could lose everything that he had, earthly, as far as possessions go, and even close people to him. He lost ten kids, and he worshiped. What a perspective. So we see the character of Job. There's more to this story, though. We, we get a real, real picture of the character of God in this text. See, let's just dive into a little bit of text. Think about a couple things. I, I want to I draw you in this morning to a conversation. I want us to open-mindedly think through, through something real quick here because I want us to positionally see what's going on. We see in verse 6, if you will, let's hone in on verse 6. Chapter 1 says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. I just I just want to pause. Let's just let's just break that verse down and think about it. the sons of God came before God. I, I would say that what was going on, this this is me looking at this text, understanding the text, that, that the sons of God had gathered around God to worship. Right attitude, right position. We should come to God and worship. And they gathered to worship. And, and, and we see that Satan strolls in. Folks, don't miss this. Every time we come together to worship God, Satan doesn't mind to be in the middle of it. Trying to mess it up, trying to break down our worship. Satan doesn't, he's not, he's not excited about us worshiping God. Satan wants to destroy worship. He wants to destroy you. He definitely doesn't want us to start worshiping and praising God. So we've got Satan strolling in on the scene. And I guess in my mind, if I take this text and think through it, it the way I've thought through it in the past and, and, and really just tried to walk through this, my, my immediate response would be that Satan and the sons of men gathered in heaven before the throne of God. And that, that would be what my mind goes to. I don't know what your mind goes to, but that's what my mind goes to, is that there's this, this scene of worship in heaven where the sons of men had gathered, but it says that the sons of men came to God. And, and then I recognize that men don't ascend to God and descend back to the earth. I mean, yes, we are in the presence of God this morning, and, and we're worshiping God, but we didn't ascend into heaven nor descend back down after this worship time. 
So I think about it. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where men ascended and descended to heaven. I do see in the Bible, when I think of Jacob's ladder and the story of Jacob, when he laid his head down on the rock and he went to sleep and God gave him a vision, he, we see that Jacob's there and he sees a ladder into heaven and the angels are descending and ascending on that ladder. And he wakes up and he says, Oh, I... I've been in the presence of God. This is the, this is the entryway to heaven. He, I will build an altar here, and I'm going to worship God. So that's what he does. So we see that. We see that angel or, uh, angels are ascending and descending. So in, in, in the mind, in, in order for us to grasp that this is in heaven and that the sons of God have come to heaven, then, then we would have to say they're angelic. And, and can I just tell you right now, we've got a whole lot of problems if we say the sons of God are angelic. Because in Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, it says, there it talks about the sons of God. Let me just read that for you. I, I think I'm going to throw it on the screen if it's uh, where we can put it on the screen. Genesis chapter 6, verse 2. Let me get verse 1, 2. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. I didn't turn that one in, so you just had to listen to me. You didn't get to see it on the screen. Let me read that to you one more time. Verse 2. That the sons of God, okay, there, there we've got that phrase, the sons of God. The sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. So, I'm going to tell you, if, if the sons of God are angels which has been positioned by some in the past, if the sons of God are angels, then we've got an issue. We've got, we've got angels coming down from heaven, inhabiting men of earth, marrying and having kids with the daughters of men. Is that problematic for anybody else in here? Because we've got a myriad of, of issues if that, that we have to walk through and try to understand. And I can't, I can't grasp that. Scripture doesn't support that. But what we do see is in chapter 4 of Genesis that Seth called upon God. And, and the sons of men began to call upon God. And, and the line of Seth, those men who were calling upon God, they, they found the daughters of men and they, they married. And they had children. That makes perfect sense to me. I don't have a problem with that. But I've still got this heavenly realm in my mind where I've got the sons of men in heaven and Satan in heaven. And, and I, I've got a greater problem. Because Satan's not in heaven. And the angels that are fallen aren't in heaven. And, and, and so we, we recognize just through a couple of cha uh, verses of Scripture, I want to show you in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. This will be on the screen. says this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So we see that it, when, when Noah's flood, when, when God flooded the earth and Noah was there, the, that was a time when the angels were cast out of heaven. Those that had sinned were, were cast out of heaven. They were committed to the pits of darkness, reserved for judgment. So that's where they would be. And then Jude, verse 6, says this, And angels who did not, did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for judgment of the great day. And then if we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, it says, 
For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you, and again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. So we see that God didn't call the angels sons, and, and so we got the sons of God coming before God, and we've got Satan coming before God. So y'all kind of got that scene, and I, I hope you're seeing that it's problematic for that to occur in heaven, but what's not problematic is this, for it to occur on earth. Where was Satan? He, he's roaming around on the earth, doing what? Seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy. What does John 10, 10 tell us? For Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give life more abundantly, right? So what we have is, is we have a, just think with me here, we have a scenario that played out on earth. How many times did God come down in the Bible? Well, he came down and dwelt with, or walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. We see that. He came down to Mount Sinai. He came down to receive offerings he came down in Christ our Lord. We've got many illustrations of God coming down. In fact, when we gathered this morning, we assembled and we said we're in the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. So we, we can much easier have this realm that, that where Satan comes before God and, and the sons of men are before God, sons of God are before him, then we could have that happening right here on earth. And that, that's not problematic. But what we do see is that when the sons of God came to assemble around him for worship, Satan walks in on the scene. And I want you to see the character of God as he does. Satan wants to destroy. We know that. I'll talk a little more about it, but we, we see here in, in uh, Job, we, we see that the Lord, verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about the earth and walking around on it. Verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. God knows Job's character. God knows Job. He knows him well. Now here, you have to ask yourself a question. And this is a real question for us to ask. Is, is God positioning Job to get destroyed? Is God a God of destruction? No, He's not. I'm going to help you with that one. God's got a life, not a God of destruction. So when, when you see God speaking about what, what God is saying, and the Hebrew there really grasped this, that he's like, have you, have you really considered? I mean, are, is, is your mind locked in? Are you focusing all of your attention, all of your effort on Job? My man, he's, he's blameless, upright. He fears me. He, he is... A man who turns from evil, and, and you've walked around this earth, and you've focused on Job? It's almost like, really? You picked the wrong dude. He's going to win. But not because he is, because I am in him. So, so Job is, is not, God, God's not putting Job on the chopping block. And I want to tell you why that helps me. Because I've had people say, man, I'd get close to God, and I'm afraid I'd just get a big X on my back for Satan. He'd come after me. Let's talk for a minute. Okay, let's just talk for a minute. We're not dealing with two equal powers here today. 
when I talk about God and Satan, I'm not talking about two equal opposing powers. I'm talking about a supreme power, God, and a sworn and subject to hell, Satan, who has been overruled, and God, who is victorious. So as we sit here this morning, we're not dealing with Satan coming in and trying to win out on God. He loses at every level. But we see some things about the character of God. God looks at him and says, really, you've, you've focused all your attention on Job, my servant? You, you've zeroed in on him? Well, good, because he's blameless, upright. He fears me, and he turns from evil. You won't win. And then Satan turns it back to God and says, but God, you don't, you don't get it. See, Satan thinks he knows more than God. He says, you've just put a hedge around him. The only reason Job is after your heart, the only reason Job is truly serving you is because Job is, he's so blessed. He's got so much stuff. You've, you've got such a hedge around him, nothing can hurt him. Take that hedge away. And Satan even tries to get God in that position of destruction because he says, you, you lay your hand on all his stuff and God, you take his stuff away and he'll curse you to your face. And God says, no, I'll take that hedge away. I'll lift that hedge and I'll let you do these things, but I'm going to put some boundaries around it. See, God's in control. God set the boundary. I want to tell you, as I sit right here with you today, I'm super excited to know that I've got a God in heaven, the Lord, the creator of this universe, who knows me and protects me, and he's got a boundary around me. I like that. So we've got Job sitting there saying, I mean, we've got Satan saying about Job, you just lift that hedge because, see, you've so protected him. He's just, he's just won over to you because of all his stuff. So we see the character of God as a protector. He is a provider, yes, but He's a protector. He puts a boundary still around Job to say, you know, you can, you can, you can take His stuff. You say His stuff is why He's allegiance to me? No, that's not it. You can take His stuff, see how He'll respond. What does He do? Four people narrowly lost their life come to present to Job what happened. Job lays on his face before the Lord. He got ready, got clean, got before God and said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. He never cursed God. Who was wrong? Satan. I want you to see also the character of Satan in that. The character of Satan is so displayed. Ladies and gentlemen, don't miss this. Satan is a destroyer. He's a destroyer. He wants to destroy everything he can, and he does. I mean, every single thing that Satan touched in this story was destroyed. Everything, that, everything he touched, gone. Now, I, I'm going to tell you, God's not sitting in heaven looking down on you, not valuing you and not protecting you. If you've surrendered your life to God and, and you have him as the Lord of your life, you can get excited because, one, you, you have a victor in heaven. He's victorious. And his name is Jesus. And he's able to open those scrolls. And all the worship of heaven is centered around the throne of God right now. 
And Satan, he knows, oh, he knows what his doom is. And I'm telling you, some of you sitting out there say, man, I just let's talk about God's love. Let's talk about grace. Let's not talk about Satan. Because I get the heebie-jeebies when I talk about Satan, right? You're scared of nothing. I mean, Satan doesn't win. Satan loses. I don't have to go against him. God already has. And he gave me a shield. He, he said, put on the shield of faith. I put on the, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Hold that shield. Hold it well. We've got, we've got a victor on our side, and he has given us authority because we're his. Y'all all right? I'm getting worked up here. I think I'm the only one. Y'all ought to be excited. See, this is good stuff. We're learning about the character of God. We're hearing about the character of Satan. He's a destroyer. And we see what he does. He's very destructive. I'm telling you, if you read this, and, and you read this Bible, and you read the book of Job, and you start off in it, man, it can be depressing. You can be, this is discouraging stuff. No, this is encouraging stuff. This is so encouraging that, that, yes, Job had a whole lot. Satan wanted to destroy him, but God protected him. And, and we see, if you read to the end of this book, you see that everything that was taken from him was returned with more blessings. See, we, we look at the life of Job, and what Satan wants to do is destroy his faith. Satan wants to take away that, that faith that he has in God. He doesn't win. I'm telling you, if, 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 if Satan would have been able to get Job to crack right here and curse God, then we'd see a man who didn't have faith, continual faith in God. But for the believer, let me just tell you something. This is, a, this is proof positive that when we're saved by God, when we're His and, and we've surrendered our life to Him, we're His eternally. We'll always be His. We're saved by God's grace through faith. And when we're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, we're saved eternally. We're His. We're not saved. We, can't, we don't play both sides. We don't, we don't get tossed to and fro. No, we're solid in who we are. Now, we may miss it every now and then. We may fail along the journey to really grasp that. But let me tell you, God in heaven has you. If you're a believer and you've surrendered your life to Him, God in heaven has you. And you can live in that victory. And you can tell Satan where he's going. It's all right. All Satan, you're going to hell. I mean, you, that's where you're going to reside the rest of eternity. That's it for you. But me, me, I'm going to heaven. And I'm going to reside in the presence of the Almighty for all my life. For all of eternity. I'll never, ever, ever lose what God's already won for me. Because i got a strong victor in Jesus. See, Satan wanted to destroy. Reminds me of a story read last week of Joseph. His brothers wanted to destroy him. They threw him in a pit, sold him as a slave. Got rid of him, dealt with the problem. God took what they meant for evil and made it good. He does that. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 tells us that. You meant this, Joseph said, you meant this for evil for me, but God, God took it and made it good. You know that, that truth that I held on to? You know, I was 17 years old when I told you boys. 
All of y'all were going to bow down. Y'all didn't like that. I get it. But that's the truth God gave me. I'm telling you, when we hold on to the truth that God gives us, the truth of His Word, we can endure. Joseph endured a whole lot of things. Job endured a whole lot of things. But they had the truth of God that resided in them. It makes all the difference in the world when you have the truth of God residing in you. If you don't have that truth, you can have that truth. See, we can yield our life to God. We can, we can uh, recognize, man, my character's not the best in the world. God's is superior. Satan's is destructive. I don't want to live for Satan. I want to live for God. I want to yield my life to Jesus. I want Him to be my Lord and my Savior. And I want Him from this day forward. I want to experience what salvation is. You know you can have that today. Every single person in this room can have a life relationship with Jesus. Because He's done, he's done the work. He's, he's prepared the opportunity for you. And He loves you. No matter what you've done, we, we've all failed. Falling short of the glory of God. None of us are deserving of what Jesus did for us on a cross at Calvary. But looking down on humanity, the spectacular creator looked upon the earth that he had created. He, he's supreme ruler, sovereign judge. And he looked down and said, I'm going to be their savior, redeemer. I'm going to save them because they can't do it themselves. You can't do it yourself. You just surrender your life to Jesus. He'll save you. And then you can live eternally with him. Or you can choose Satan in his crafty ways. Let him be the destroyer of your life. No, not a good option, is it, church? You know, maybe you're here today and you're saying, I, I don't have that relationship, but I need it. I know I need it. You can have it today. All you have to do is surrender your life to Jesus. It's, it's very simple. Salvation is not hard. God's calling you to himself. The, the feeling you feel, man, I really want that relationship, that's God calling you to him. And you just respond, yes, Lord, I want you. I, I'm a sinner, and I need you because you're the only way I can be saved. Save me, Lord. Change my life. Direct me. Be the Lord of my life. Guide me through life. I want to be surrendered to you. I'm telling you, salvation occurs. You may be here today and say, man, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I have no question about salvation. It's nailed down for me. I am a saved child of the King. But I'm telling you, I have, I have not done well in, in times of turmoil, strain, and struggle. I have failed. I, I've not lived a life. I've not been the Job experience. I, you know, on the good side, I, I've kind of looked at it and been like, wow, really, God? This stinks. I mean, it stunk for Joseph. It stunk for Job. But they kept their sights set on God. And, and that's a lesson to me. And I think that's a lesson to most of us in this room, that though we go through hard times, we have a God who loves us and will carry us through those hard times and see help and healing through Him. That's the only way we're going to get it. So I want you to stand with me. I'm going to pray, and we're going to have our time of invitation. And I want you to move as God leads you. Our, our altars are open. You can come pray. Maybe you've got a life struggle right now, and you need to lay it before the Lord. Maybe you need to say, God, work on me. Maybe you need to say, I want to be redeemed. I want to be saved. Whatever you want to do, the pastors will be here for you. We'd love to pray with you. We cherish these moments of invitation where you can respond to the voice of God in your life. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for this day. Move in our midst, Lord. You have your will and your way in my life and the lives of all these that are here before you today. You touch us, Lord. Help us to be all you've called us to be. Let us respond right now as you would lead us in Jesus' name.
Amen. Won't you come this morning and talk with us? We're here for you. You move as God leads. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Fathers, we bow in your presence this morning, Lord. We praise you and worship you, Lord, for just who you are and all that you stand for, Lord. We know that you are righteous, you are holy, 
You're perfect. You're sinless. Lord, you're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. And yet, Lord, you extended your grace. You extended your mercy. And, Lord, you shared your love in the way of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we could be forgiven of our sins. And through him, Lord, we can experience the fellowship with you that you've intended all along. Lord, we praise you and worship you for that this day. And now, Lord, as we take up this offering, we want to worship you as we give back a portion of that that you bless us with. We praise you and thank you for it and pray that it would go out for the spreading of the gospel as you intended. For it's in Jesus' name we praise thee. Amen.
But it sure is good to see the college back. We miss y'all when y'all going to break. Next year, let's don't go and break. <laughs> so you to graduate like, done. 